Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This is the Court Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme after what was a gorgeous weekend weather-wise. I hope you managed to get out and about and enjoy some of this wonderful sunshine that we've been experiencing at the end of August. And by all accounts, it's not going to be too bad this week. Now, it's not going to be as warm as it was last week. And certainly there was reports of clouds crowds flocking to all of the beaches last weekend and I think a lot of that had to do with the children heading back to school it was kind of the last hoo-ha let's head off uh, to the beach but there'll be people going to the beach again this weekend because uh, temperatures they'll be Back to around average, Met Erin are saying, for this time of the year. High teens, but they could even go into the low 20s. I saw Alan O'Reilly from Carlo Weather, Weather saying he's expecting temperatures in the low 20s because uh, this high pressure, he says, is still staying with us and it'll be, which means it's going to be dry and settled right across this week and expect it to be like that right up to and including Friday. And it's going to be next weekend before it looks like there is some rain on the horizon, but a nice dry, settled week. So people will be heading to the beach. And if you are heading to the beach, just to warn you, we did speak about this last week on the programme, but I'm seeing it in the papers this morning. Still warnings out there about the Portuguese man of war. I know we refer to it as a jellyfish but it isn't quite a jellyfish but it is the sting from this sea creature that can in some cases be fatal and it can be rare cases um, that it can be fatal but it just inflicts the most dreadful of stings and the pain of it is seen to by all accounts is unbelievable. The latest spotting of the Portuguese man of war was uh, on the weekend. There was a very large one washed up in Ardmore. The Coast Guard there uh, reported it. And of course, last week we had three beaches that at one point in time had to put up a red flag. Fountainstown, uh, Gary Lucas and Ona Hinchard. There was all sightings and spottings of jellyfish, both at 
at sea and on our shore so be, be, please be careful and be aware of that and if you're heading to the beach with your children make your children aware of them it's it's beautiful looking because of the colour of it and, and everything and it is the colour makes it quite gorgeous and so almost luminous but just be very careful even when it's washed up on the beach you can still get a very very nasty sting from it so be careful of that but if you are going to the beach this week and you have all the children are not back at school and you have the opportunity to head to the beach please enjoy and talking of the children going back to school a lot of them for a lot of them today is day one can we wish good luck to all of the kiddies uh, heading back parents are being cautioned to heed all of the public health measures in trying to prevent the spread of COVID-19 especially when dropping their children to uh, school and collecting them again in the evening. There's a bit of concern now about the school run. Dr Tony Hoolan at the weekend warning the country was expect, was experiencing at the moment a very high incident rate of COVID-19 and that any increase in incidence among children is often linked to the, to the events that occur around school. This isn't necessarily what happens in the classroom itself. It's what happens before and it's what happens after school. He said it's important that we continue to socialise safely, continue to adhere to the public health measures that we're all familiar with and that our schools have successfully implemented. He's suggesting things like wear a mask. This is obviously to the parents. If this is what's recommended in the school environment, if it's secondary school children, they have to wear masks. Keep your distance, avoid the crowds. And it's when parents will be meeting up and parents, we've all done that at the school gates when we were dropping children off and there's a lovely kind of a friendly atmosphere about it and particularly when you go back to school after the long summer, it's meeting up with parents that you might only meet at the school gates and catching up on all of the news if you are deciding to do that, even though you are outside where we're told it is safer. I think Tony Hoolan is basically saying try to do your social distancing and try to do the wearing of masks. I don't know, I know last year some of the schools brought that in where they put it made it mandatory for parents when they were outside the school gates to make sure that they had their masks on and and I certainly saw evidence of parents social distancing outside of schools but I suppose with more and more people vaccinated we might be starting to leave our guard down uh, slightly and of course the, the monitoring the government are saying they're going to monitor the Delta infection rates surrounding the return of schools. And this is due to fear of slipping parental safety standards in particular. But even a spike in cases won't necessarily derail the reopening. That's according to senior sources in the government. Now, Scotland, they've seen a surge and some of the surge in cases in Scotland they're saying now it is a directly attributed to the resumption of schools because children in Scotland went back to school earlier than I think they're back about two weeks at this stage and there was a spike and it was directly related to schools reopening. Cabinet ministers are saying school related infections, they are expected here, but they say they won't be a determining factor in decisions in the softening of controls. They say last year went well, but... The problem with last year and looking back on last year and saying how well we did last year, last year we were we were dealing with the original alpha virus. Now we're dealing with the Delta virus. We know the Delta virus is much more uh, contagious. We know that the Delta virus still hasn't peaked in this country. It's expected to peak in September. And you add in that the Delta is going to be at its highest mid-September and all of the children will be back in school. So you can understand why there are concerns and why they are expecting numbers to increase 
and some of those will be directly attributed to the reopening of schools. But the Department of Education are pains to point out that the all of the available evidence from the operation of schools during COVID-19 to date is showing that schools are low-risk environment. That's in due to in fairness to the staff and the infection prevention and control measures that are put in uh, place. They've all worked very effectively, said the Department of Education, but it is recognised the cases of COVID-19 will rise this September when they reopen it. And the reason for that, of course, is it's currently rising in the community as well. So if it's rising in the community, it will rise in the schools. So it's kind of a message to the parents to please bring your A game when you're dropping off and collecting your little ones from school and just be careful about the socialising that will happen both between the parents and the children outside of the classroom. And I welcome thoughts and comments from any parents listening that ha- that has children heading back or already gone back to primary schools around the wearing of masks while in the classroom. I listened with great interest to Professor Luke O'Neill who I think is fantastic and I've always thought very level-headed man and he always tried to put a positive spin even in the darkest days of this pandemic. So I was listening to him at the weekend and he was saying that primary school children should wear masks when they're in the classroom and he sees this as a bid to slow down the spread of COVID-19. Now we know at the moment primary school pupils are currently not required to to wear masks, only the secondary school pupils. And the reason behind it has always been that officials believe it would simply be too too challenging, particularly for the younger children, and that could be potentially a source of stress for them. Professor Luke O'Neill says that if mask wearing in primary schools was even 30% effective, he says it would have a significant impact on breaking the chain of transmission among the younger age group. He acknowledged that the disease does tend to be very mild when it appears in this age demographic. However, he said his fear would be that the child could get it. It will be a very mild illness for the child. Parents mightn't even realise that their small son or daughter has picked up COVID-19 while in school. And then Luke O'Neill was saying the fear is that then that child brings it home to a parent or somebody vulnerable at home or might pass it on to an elderly grandparent. And that's where he's coming from. He says that it has always been a surprise to him that primary school children have not been asked to wear masks. But he does accept it's tricky for teachers, no more so than the parents to impose it on that younger age group. And you're thinking of the tiny tots, the little ones heading into junior infants and how stressful that whole situation can be without saying to them that they've got to put a mask on uh, as well. But allowing for all of that, he's still saying to people, please wear masks in primary uh, schools because he said the science is there. We know that masks uh, work. And if you look around the world, other jurisdictions do ask their children, even the small children heading into primary schools to wear masks. America is the obvious one. In a lot a lot of the parts of America it is mandatory for children the, all children in the classroom to uh, wear masks. So Luke O'Neill is suggesting that's what we need to do here now with the reopening of schools, bearing in mind that in Ireland now we have the second highest rate of COVID-19 infections in Europe for the past 14 days. These are the latest figures that are out from the European Centre for Disease Prevention, the ECDC. It is showing we have 496 cases per 100,000 for the last 14 days. There's only one 
country higher than us and that is Cyprus and because of that we went on the red list for in Europe yesterday meaning the people travelling to this country when they go back are going to have to quarantine which is very unfortunate on anyone who has travelled from overseas and is holidaying here at the moment that is the big danger you can go on holiday to a country that's on the green list where people said it's safe to go there and suddenly while you're on holiday there there is a spike in cases the numbers rise alarmingly and suddenly that country goes from being a safe country to travel to to going on a red list as a country of warning uh, uh, where not to uh, travel to. So Luke O'Neill saying we've got we know we have COVID-19 circulating in the community. We unfortunately have a lot of it circulating in the community. It hasn't peaked yet. We've at least another two weeks before they expect it to peak and then we should start to see it to decrease. So should our primary school children be wearing masks in the classroom? Your thoughts welcomed. I meant at the t- t- top of the programme just completely out of my head my apologies uh, to send heartiest congratulations to another gold medal win in Tokyo in the Paralympics to Jason Smith. This man is simply incredible. And there's some great photographs of Team Ireland celebrating in Tokyo and there's photographs of Jason's family in Derry. Of course, none of them were able to be with him this time because of uh, COVID-19 and because of the restrictions. But his family, speaking of their pride at his gold medal winning performance after what was a dramatic finish in the Tokyo 2020 Paralympic Games. Speaking from their home in Derry, his wife, Elsie, said they were ecstatic. The win added to his record tally at the Paralympic Games. It is his sixth gold medal and it was a photo finish the end of the the T13 100 metre final it really was incredible I mean it is his fourth successful Paralympic 100 metre gold medal and that in itself has that record ever been matched by anyone to go to four Olympic Games and in the same event the 100 metres to win the gold medal four times it's an extraordinary achievement by what can only be described as an exceptional um, athlete uh, he really is and he will go on now to inspire so many others he's due home I was reading in the papers today he's due home on Thursday I can imagine the fanfare on Thursday in Derry it'll be fantastic so uh, well done and uh, we've a lot more hopefuls as well for the Paralympics for Team Ireland they certainly are doing us proud and talking of doing us proud well done to the Cork ladies yesterday the Cork Camogie team uh, beating Kilkenny by just one uh, point with only minutes left left to go. That was a really, really exciting uh, game of Camogie and any day that Cork beat the Cats is always a really, really good day. So congratulations to the Cork Camogie team heading into yet another uh, All-Ireland final. We wish them well. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Last Friday, I spoke with a US Army veteran, Phil Nannery, who now lives in Cork, who outlined how he is trying to help a young Afghan man and his family get out of Afghanistan as he fears for this man who we just referred to as Rocky. Rocky worked as an interpreter helping the US Army on the ground and there's now uh, fears uh, for Rocky's uh, 
security and for his life. Many Afghan people fear reprisals from the Taliban once the Americans finally leave and they're expected to be formally pulled out tomorrow. Well, West Cork Fianna Fáil councillor Sean O'Donovan joins me to share the story of another family desperately trying to get out of that country. Uh, Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning, Patricia. Now, once again, we're not publicly saying uh, the names to protect the people involved here, but tell me firstly about your friend and how um, he came uh, how he came to live here. This is a gentleman living here who's trying to get his family out. That's correct. Um, yeah, this friend of mine, I suppose, um, could see a, a brighter future here in Ireland for himself when he lived in Afghanistan and uh, applied for refugee status. Um, came to live in Ireland and got his Irish passport uh, six years ago. He's been working um, in in Cork City uh, for the last six years, I suppose, since he got his, his Irish citizenship. Um, but his family are in Afghanistan and they're, um, I suppose, with all the troubles on there and all the rest of it, uh, he's very concerned about them. Um he applied for um, to bring them over to Ireland to live with him. But unfortunately, it, his mother and his three brothers are in Afghanistan. So his mother and his brother were granted um, the, the okay to come to live in Ireland. But his mother didn't want to leave her two young sons over by themselves. So decided to stay in Afghanistan until they, until they tried to sort out the other two visas for the other two brothers. Um, but unfortunately, with the last few weeks and all that's happened, it, it, they're in a very difficult situation over there at the moment. And has your friend settled well in this country? Is he enjoying living in Cork? Absolutely. Loves it. Loves the Irish people. Loves his job. Um, is very dedicated to it. Is, is a good worker and stuff, you know. So he's made he's made Ireland his home. He's made Cork his home now. So, and he's been working on this process of the family. That's family reunification, isn't it? Is it under that? Is, that? That's yeah. Correct. And he's yeah. been working on it. Like it isn't suddenly now that he's working on it because it was no, no. He's 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 applied to um, the Department of Justice. Uh, it's probably five years ago, I suppose. You know, to to bring them here to Ireland to live with him, so he could look after them. But um, as I said, two of them refused visas to come. Do you know why? Um, I don't know. I'm working on that process myself with him at the minute, um, with the Department of Justice trying to sort it out. But it, it's just a long road. There's a lot of people over there looking for um, refugee status to, to get out of Afghanistan. So it's just not an, an easy process at the minute. And is he in contact with his mother and his brothers? And what is he hearing about life in Afghanistan? He is in, in almost daily contact with them. Um, his actually last week. During the, um, the, the, I suppose, the takeover by the Taliban of Afghanistan, his brother was randomly attacked on the street and his legs broke. Um, so it, it's a big concern for him being so far away from them, I suppose, and with what's going on, like lots of shops are closed, there's a, a lack of food there, there's a lack of cash around the place, so it's it's in, in turmoil, I suppose, at the minute over there, you know. It's it's almost looking like it's going to be a humanitarian crisis. It, it's almost like we're watching it unfold before our eyes, Sean. Uh, it, that's what it seems to be. And I suppose the big worry is with the American troops after pulling out and the amount of um, of equipment that they've left behind, $85, million, $85 billion is the figure. That's, that's around. Um, it just gives 
the Taliban I suppose a huge a huge force and a huge um, amount of equipment to continue their war with you know that they didn't have 20 years ago when the Americans moved in absolutely not no no they had very little you know so that, that's yeah. obviously a very big concern as well now, I know we're hearing from the Department of Foreign Affairs. I mean, initially, I think it was 150 ref- refugees were going to be offered asylum here in this country. But they did say that they will increase that number. Is that is that what you're calling on the government to do? Absolutely, yeah, I suppose. It's, I know this, this person um, personally, so it, it's a very genuine case. And I'm sure there's lots of other ones out there, you know. Um and I suppose if, if his mother and, and brothers could come to Ireland to live and, and do what my friend is doing at the minute, they're, he's paying his tax and all that, so they'd be, they'd be an asset to, to the country as well as adding culture to it, you know. Yeah, and we've seen that so many times that when uh, people come to this country, they do add. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It, it's great to have new cultures and, and all that. And like, I suppose in, in recent times there in Cork City, we've seen lots of different cafes and restaurants opening from different cultures from all over the world and they've been very successful I suppose and it's good to have good to have something new on your doorstep as well and that people experience um, different foods and ethics and um, cultures and stuff like that Okay so you are are you in contact with the Department of Foreign Affairs on behalf of your friend? Yes I, yeah. I have been yeah And they are saying what to you? They're working uh, on it? Working on it basically yeah um, there's not a lot of information coming back I suppose it's just such a delicate a difficult situation there at the minute, and um, there's so many, I suppose, so many people looking for um, for visas to come to Ireland, refugee status, and that they're kind of, um, I suppose, they're prioritising any of the Irish and the immediate siblings and and children, spouses of any Irish passport holders, you know. So yeah, it's just I, it's, it's a waiting game, I suppose. Really, yeah, kind of. I know the latest I've read because obviously we don't have a team on the ground now in, anymore. I think there's sixty uh, people are being as, uh, assisted remotely. These will be people with already with Irish uh, passports, but there are also 150 cases under the family reunification, which is obviously that's the scheme that your friend is trying yeah. to work under. They, they, they're being prioritised by the Department of Justice. And then there's a further 250 people being granted asylum in a refugee settlement programme. So they are working remotely to get people out. It's not that they're not doing anything. No, they, they certainly are working on, on it. Um, but it's just that there's, there's a large volume of people, I suppose. And under the circumstances, it, it's just not easy when they're not on the ground over there, you know, when, when everyone has withdrawn from the country. It's a tough situation, isn't it? It is. It's very tough. It's very sad, and yeah. it's, it's tough on, I suppose, people that aren't able to get in contact with their families. At least my friend has contact with his family nearly on a daily basis. You know, so there's other families there too that haven't had contact with their families, and the worry is if they're still alive or still okay or whatever. You know. And I know the Taliban are saying anyone that wants to leave the country will be allowed to leave the country, but of course there's scepticism about that commitment from the. Taliban and even you know when they say oh life will, will be good in Afghanistan the Afghanis themselves don't trust them they don't they don't I suppose and, and I suppose another concern Patricia is that the fact that Kabul airport um, like the, the bombings there last week and stuff and that's very close to where uh, my friend's family live they live uh, um, wow. within maybe 50 minutes walk of the airport so they're in the direct location of those attacks and stuff, you know. That is tough. Okay, listen, keep us posted, uh, Sean, if you get any update from uh, your friend 
in the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you, Patricia. Uh, thank good you morning much. to you. Bye-bye. That is West Cork, Fianna Fáil, uh, Councillor Sean O'Donovan putting a plea on behalf of his Afghan friend. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Issues relating to faulty goods and services were the most common reason why people contacted the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission in the first six months of this year. To discuss the report released by the Commission, I'm joined by Darren Sweeney of the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission. Good morning to you, Darren. Good morning. And you're welcome to the programme. Did the pandemic affect the type of complaints you received from the general public? I, particularly last year, it definitely did. So last year we would have seen a significant increase in the amount of contacts, particularly around holidays and uh, flights and cancellations. Now, interesting enough, the first half of this year, we saw a significant decline by 71%, which was probably good news because it probably meant a lot of consumers had their issues resolved last year and this year we're taking a different approach and there were less issues. Now, interestingly enough, we replaced a 71% decrease in travel with a 63% increase in contacts about, uh, from, about audiovisual and electronic goods. So um, whether this is a symptom of, of COVID, it could be potentially because we saw more people buying online and there are bigger purchases. So in a different way, yes, COVID would have impacted. And do people contact you when they're not happy with the response that they get from, from the business where they purchase the item? Because I'm assuming their first port of call is to go back to the business. Yes, quite often. Now, sometimes people prefer to know before they go in what they're entitled to so they're in a stronger position. So particularly, for example, our website traffic, you might see that that would be. And then, yes, by the time that people are contacting our helpline, it's definitely that they've tried to have a conversation or they've been offered a solution um, and they're not happy with what's been offered to them and they're wondering what the steps they can take. And how, um, as an organisation, are you able to help consumers? Is it just advice you give? Yeah, well, primarily we have two roles. So the first role is in providing information so consumers can assert those rights. And one of the big areas um, and one of the big trends that we saw in the first half of the year was an increase in the amount of contacts about faulty goods. And this is an area that it's particularly important that consumers understand their rights and, and how they have to make um, steps themselves that we're not able to do for them. So our role is to help set out those steps and help guide them through what they need to do and if they're not happy, what they are. So the, the challenge with the law is when you buy something that's faulty, you're entitled to a refund or replacement or a repair. But it doesn't say in what circumstances you're entitled to which. So when it comes down to if you buy something that's faulty, you need to go in and talk to the trader and agree what what you're happy with and agree with them. Now, if it's the case that you're not happy with it, we'll then guide you through steps like the small claims process so that you can bring it to, to a resolution. Like a business saying, I'll take it back and I'll fix it and give it back to you. Yeah. Not everyone, yeah. It's, do you have to accept that? It depends, I suppose. If it's if you've just brought it now, I mean, you can always absolutely argue and say, look, that's not acceptable to me. And you can then take through the steps of make a complaint and if not bring to the small claims procedure. What we would, can, what, where you would be in a very strong position to completely refute that is if, you know, the fault became apparent very quickly from day one or within the first couple of weeks because it was there from the start. So repair is not going to be acceptable to mm. you. 
Now, one of the biggest areas we would see as well confusion about is particularly with electronic goods. Is you could buy, for example, a washing machine, and as it's always Murphy's law, the two days after a guarantee that it breaks down, and <laughs> yeah. the frustration then is it's two days. And I suppose um, what consumers really need to know is it, forget the guarantee and the warranty when you buy from a business. You've made a contract with that business and it's up to them to fix the problem. So it doesn't matter if there's a guarantee and a warranty, that's an additional protection. But you can ignore that if you preferred and deal with the business and go back to the retailer that you bought from and say, and they need to resolve the issue. So that means it can be 12 months and two days and you still can get the issue resolved. But quite often what we see is people are pushed through that and then they think they've absolutely no options then if, if it's outside a guarantee. Mm. You mentioned people going to the small claims court. Mm. Are people slow to do that and is that a complicated process? No, it actually is very straightforward. We referred about 2,000 consumers to the, the small claims procedure. Um, it means you don't have to get legal advice. It's a very, a lot of it's done online and it's very simple. Now it's a maximum of 2,000 euros what you can get back in terms of if, if, if an item costs more than 2,000 euros, you won't be able to use that. We would generally see be positive. Now, the other side of what we see is that if you tell a trader you're going to bring them a small claims procedure or a small claims court, you'll find that solutions do come that bit quicker as well too, no more than people um, referring to contacting us um, as well too, that they do resolve issues quicker but we certainly would hear positives coming back from consumers where for something that wasn't a huge um, cost that they did get the, their, their money back and it did get resolved. Okay and I take it you saw a big increase in queries about an online purchase? We did. I mean we've been seeing generally in the last two, three years an increase in more. We're about 50-50% of 50% in-store purchases and 50% online. Covid and the restrictions obviously accelerate that but we still see that as, as continuing so we would have seen an increase, not just, I suppose, in terms of issues, but also people looking for information before they were buying online. And one of the big things we would have been out at the start of this year was making people aware that Brexit was really going to change their rights. Um, and it wasn't really important that even if you bought from a website before, you needed to now look to see where is that website based? Because if it was by based outside of the EU, their rights may be different and they may be um, hit with additional charges and I, I myself fell back victim to that one um, and there was important changes ahead. So we would have been very, and, and we had significant traffic to, to our website and I think our numbers only slightly increased. We saw a 3% increase in the number of consumers contacting us about purchases from the UK, So, which considering everything that happened wasn't huge but was very heartening as we had 36,000 visits to our Brexit hub, which meant consumers were looking for the information in advance and either able to resolve it themselves if there was an issue or else going in more informed which was really really strong Just interesting on saving money uh, when you're purchasing online there was an item I had to I always try and shop local where I can but yeah. a particular item that I couldn't get and I had to go online and I realised that it was a UK website I was, I was going through and suddenly the charges were clocking up when I went to check out and I transferred it's a well known it's a well known website I transferred to a European version of them and I yeah. saved three hundred euro on the purchase. Now it was a I big know. night. I couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe really- it. I mentioned, yeah, I, I bought a dress and uh, four weeks afterwards I got a, a bill for a third of the price of the oh, dress. So, and I should have known oh, better. So. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> but it is, you know, and especially when you want something specific, is yeah, it's yeah. very hard not to. And like, these are brands that we, we're used to seeing. It's not an unknown. So you, you then naturally are, are, I suppose, a little bit less cautious. And I think that's what Brexit really changed was to stop and slow down. But I definitely think consumers have adapted and we're, we're more we're wary. More savvy. We're definitely, we're definitely more yeah. so. And then yeah. they can, the consumer rights when purchasing online, mm. once it's within the EU, 
Are they the very same as if it's a shop on the high street? No, it's actually stronger. I suppose when you go into a store, you can look at it, you can try it on, you can see the colour. There's so much you can do. You can see the quality of the material. So to reflect the challenges of buying online, you do have stronger rights. And the main right there is that you have, when you receive a purchase, you have two weeks to, or 14 days to make up your mind whether you're going to keep it or not and a further 14 days from when you tell the business you're going to turn it to send it back to them. And that is guarantees. There are, are virtually no exceptions except for things like they're personalised or, you know, but majority of products fall into that. Whereas in a store, if you buy in a, in a shop and go in, it's down to whatever their store policy is. So they may accept returns. They may change, for example, in sales. They may say, no, we don't accept returns. We may give you a credit note. You can't do that online. So there's a big difference between the two. Okay, and do you believe online will remain as popular as ever, even though the shops are all now reopened? I think it'll level out a a little bit more, but certainly we would see more, probably for bigger purchases. um, I think it's become more challenging for, I think, um, particularly with Brexit, buying multiples and of clothes in several different sizes. It's become more difficult and more expensive as well, too. So I think for some, but certainly for bigger ones and and that option of looking across a number of different providers, um, online shopping probably will stay. But it is, I mean, it's, it's heartening to see that there, there is a 50-50%. And then certainly in our, our statistics, consumers are buying local as well too. And a lot in the, in the COVID, a lot of businesses, local businesses went online as well too. So it's not just a case, you, can, you know, you can't support local by buying That's true. Online. That's a good point. That's a, that's a really good point. And of course, we'll be heading into the yes. busiest, the Christmas uh, shopping <laughs> period. Yeah, and well, the Christmas <laughs> shops are already open. Uh, we're, we're getting ready for it. It's... It's important, though, that people know their rights, isn't it? Absolutely, because that's how you benefit from them. So if you don't know what you're entitled to, you're more likely, for, you know, for example, to not then look for um, a repair if you're outside of guarantee or warranty and thinking you don't have an option. Equally, to your, if something is faulty or if something's not delivered on time within a certain time frame, you've all these great rights. Like, yes, it's when something goes wrong, but they're important to fix. Um, so you don't, the stress doesn't continue. So we have a website, which is ccpc.ie, and it covers a multitude from buying a car to mortgages to comparing a mortgage, as well as a helpline, which you can use if you want more specific information to your circumstances. And if it's okay with you, I'll, I'll give you the number, which is 01402 um, And we can talk you through what you need to know and how to make the steps. But if there's nothing else, particularly, I suppose, in the next couple of months, as you say, with the shopping is if you're buying online, take that time to have a look to see where that website is based and have a look at the returns and refund policy to make sure you're happy with what it is. Okay, and as you say, so much information on your own website, ccpc.ie. You know, get the homework in before before you actually purchase. Okay, listen, listen, um, Darren, thank you for that. Have a good week and thanks for joining us. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, Darren Sweeney who joins us from the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission, the CP. Uh, ccpc.ie if you want to check out more just as a mine of information a listener says Hi Patricia I heard you say that Ireland is now on the red list because of the high number of cases per 100,000 people in the EU I visitors from the UK at the weekend does that mean that they will have to quarantine when they go back Ah, it's a good question Uh, they're going to have to check in with their own UK, you know, .co.uk, .gov.uk, I think is their uh, website. Similar to we here in Ireland always check in with our 
.gov.ie uh, to check out what happens. I would I would suggest they're going to need to go on to the Department of Foreign Affairs in Great Britain to find out uh, because I know a friend of mine but it was earlier on in the summer tra- from the UK travelled to France and when he arrived in France France had become uh, on the red list countries because remember when you when a country gets deemed a red list country the advice is the Department of Foreign Affairs in every country will advise you not to travel to that country and if you do they then will tell you what you need to do on your return but it differs from country to country and obviously Ireland going on a red list that's within the EU because of Brexit we know the UK isn't in the EU anymore I imagine they're following the red list countries so the very same way so I would suggest to your visitors I don't know can I from your text have they travelled or are they about I have travelled I have visitors from the UK at the weekend I don't know if they're already in the country or they're planning on travelling uh, next weekend I would suggest that they ch- check in with the Department of Foreign Affairs in the UK to find out what is the procedure but certainly a friend of mine went to France and when he got to France as he arrived it went on the red list and I know he had to do a 10 day it was a home quarantine he had to do on his return so I would suggest they check that out 1850 John Paul taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Cork today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want Great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Mary has been on to us by WhatsApp. Say good morning, Patricia. Good morning to you, Mary. I would like to say a big thank you to the lads who helped out a lady who had a fall in Mallow on Saturday. Well done, lads. And hopefully that lady is doing well. Now, I don't know who the lady is. I don't know where the fall occurred. But well done to the young lads who seemingly spotted a lady in distress straight away over uh, to help out, which is always terrific uh, to see. And as Mary says, we particularly wish that woman who had the fall, we wish her the very best. and just staying in Mallow. Uh, Martina has been on to us by text. Fuming, she says. Absolutely fuming. She said, all last week, Patricia, you were announcing the road closure of Mallow Bridge from 7pm on Friday evening to 7pm on Monday evening. I had occasion to do four journeys where I, had to, where I would have had to cross the bridge, but I knew, having listened to you on the radio last week, that the bridge was closed to facilitate the boardwalk bridge lift. I'm now hearing this morning that the bridge was open all weekend what is going on now it was okay it wasn't opened all at weekend it certainly was closed on Friday night they did close it as at 7 o'clock and the the first what looks like from video footage I saw was the first part of the bridge lift went in now whether they managed to get everything that they needed to do done on Friday I don't know because all I know is that about lunchtime on Saturday I had to go across town and I had to go over the bridge completely forgot you know when your mind is I need to go to this shop I have my shopping list with me I have my shopping bags I have my mask and everything's going through your head completely forgot that the bridge was closed to traffic and drove and it was when I got to the bridge I said no it's open but my husband had been walked over the bridge on Friday evening and he said no it was definitely closed and then I saw the video footage of what they put in as part of the boardwalk uh, bridge so whether they didn't they 
got it all done on Friday or whether there was some reason that parts that were due to come didn't arrive. I don't really know. But John Paul is telling me that. Let me just give you an update. If I can find where's John Paul gone here on my screen. John Paul is saying that Mallow Bridge will close this coming Friday, the 3rd, at 7pm and will remain closed across the weekend until Monday at 7pm. Okay, (laughs) he's sending me on the exact same notice that we had from last week, but just the dates have changed. So now it's next weekend from Friday through to Monday, from 7 on Friday evening until 7 on Monday evening. They say pedestrian access will remain, but detour for traffic will be in operation, which is exactly the same message that they gave us from last week. Okay, listen, we'll get on to the council to find out why it seemed to have only closed for one night, but certainly it seemed to have cut out some people who were doing everything that they should have done by going around the houses rather than going over the bridge. Anyway, our our Martina in Mallow, very annoyed this morning because it was only when she got to work this morning that she was hearing that the bridge was actually open for the majority of the uh, weekend. Thank you for that. 1850-333-103. And then Deirdre was on to us to say she was out at the weekend with a group of five friends. It was their first time dining indoors because now all six of this friendship group all have they're all fully vaccinated and they've all received their COVID certificates. So she said they were very excited about going out to a restaurant on Saturday evening, all with their COVID certificates and their grubby little paws, delighted to be allowed in to show their passes. She said they couldn't believe not one of the party of six were asked for their COVID certificates. They did ask one person in the party to sign in and to give a telephone number for contact tracing, but nobody was asked whether they'd COVID certificates or not. What is going on? We heard that last week as well from some places. We heard of other establishments that were literally asking everybody as they were coming in whether they'd COVID certificates. And then I spotted a survey that was done by the Economic and Social Research Institute, the ESRI and they say from their survey which was conducted earlier on from the 10th through to the 17th of this month across that week uh, earlier on this month they say a third of customers eating or drinking inside cafes, pubs and uh, restaurants say that they weren't asked and that their COVID-19 certificate wasn't checked. So it looks like it depends on the restaurant, the pub or the cafe that you're going into because the law states on it is a requirement of law that you can only eat inside if you have a COVID certificate but it looks like not everybody is asking uh, for it. The RSI report actually showed that 73% of people that they surveyed had actually had a COVID digital certificate which meant that they were uh, fully vaccinated and for the first time this year in this survey more people now were going outdoors or indoors to go out and socialise than actually getting a takeaway which obviously everything's reopened and people now are happy and confident enough to go to go out. Beha- they also looked at behaviours in pubs and they say behaviours in pubs is substantially higher risk than behaviour in cafes and restaurants, according to the survey. Pub goers 
met three times as many people from other households as they were likely to meet if, say, they just went out for a meal and they were more likely to stay on that premises for over two hours. Customers also admitted they were less likely to wear masks and customers also admitted that inside in pubs, staff were less likely to wear masks. And again, parts of the rules and regulations, the staff were meant to be wearing the masks. Uh, but Deirdre, you're not on your own. A third of all customers on that particular survey say they weren't asked for their COVID certificate. And as I say, we did get some calls in last week uh, about it. And I remember one of the calls we received from one of our listeners saying that wherever they went, you know, they were asked for COVID cert, they were asked to check in and they were showed their their tables and they watched all of the staff around them were all wearing masks and they said they took comfort from it and felt confident eating their meal knowing that everything was being done above board and they were actually where they were sitting was close to the door so they could see people coming in and they said every single customer that came in was being asked for a COVID certificate and if they didn't have a COVID certificate then it was it was very politely said to them you can dine outside but you can't dine inside. So some seem to be really good at it but others are, are not and I don't know if there's any spot checking going on to find out which establishment you know if they're doing the right thing or not and it does look like the, the digital COVID certificates are certainly going to be with us and we're going to need them more because the talk now is that your digital COVID certificate will be needed if you want to access a live music gig, if you want to go into any kind of indoor sports event or any other organised event that's indoors that the government are going to finalise. It'll be one of the things the government will finalise today. The Cabinet COVID subcommittee, they meet today. Now, today is the day that they decide on the final details for the plan to reopen all the remaining sectors of society. Under the digital cert, using the digital cert to, to manage increased numbers at religious services, that seemingly has been ruled out. That had been suggested, but then you were thinking of the priests in the parish having to have somebody at the door checking people's digital cert to see if they were allowed in or not. They've ruled that out. But communions and confirmations, this certainly will be news. Good, good news for some of our listeners who are constantly contacting us uh, about that. Communities of Confirmation is likely to return within weeks. I would say mid-September we're going to see a flurry of Communions and Confirmations. I take it our bishops are going to be very busy when it comes to the Confirmations. All public transport will be operating 100% capacity. Now that's expected to be from Wednesday of next week. Now obviously it has to be in place to facilitate. There's 1.5 million school children returning to school. Many of those will need to go on public transport. You're going to have the college students. You're going to have office workers returning to work. So we'll be back from next Wednesday public transport at 100%. Now it was being confirmed yesterday by the Transport Minister uh, Eamon Ryan. The plan that gets discussed today at the COVID subcommittee that then goes for approval by the full cabinet tomorrow and then that gets the final sign off there. Now ahead of those meetings the Taoiseach Micheál Martin the Tháinig City of Radcar and the Arts Minister Catherine Martin they're holding a meeting with the Events Industry Alliance today that's where the Arts and the Live Entertainment Group they are really pushing for an early reopening of the sector and you may have heard ads running and seen ads in the newspaper there's been a big push by the live entertainment sector to say first to close, last to open, please do something uh, for us. And there had been talks that, oh, they'd be open 
in time for Christmas and that industry is saying you know later on in the year it's just too late for us they want to be opened early they want to be opened as early as next week so that meeting goes ahead uh, today as well and obviously ahead of the COVID committee meeting and then the full cabinet meeting uh, tomorrow so we will it will be someone is asking what time will we expect to hear the announcement tomorrow of what exactly is the next roadmap out and what is going going to happen educated guest tea time tomorrow we'll see tomorrow if we can get a more accurate time of when Michal Martin again we'll do the usual he will be addressing the nation and then another listener is on about Patricia is it true that Neffet is going to be disbanded this was been I think I read about it in the papers on Saturday that this has been mentioned that Neffet will be dissolved I think around mid-October but I'm reading today kind of mixed signals in the papers certainly today we had the Taoiseach Michal Martin speaking in Cork on Saturday he hinted that the role of Neffet was to be re-examined but then you have Eamon Ryan, the leader of the Green Party. He's saying that the winding down of Neffet wasn't on the agenda at the moment. However, Eamon Ryan did acknowledge a need to move away from the emergency measures in the medium to long term and then to increase instead investment in public health teams within the Department of Health. So kind of mixed messaging. What I was reading at the weekend was it'll be disbanded around because Neffet is an emergency group that was uh, set up. I mean, the name is even in the title. It's the National National Public Health Emergency Team. So if we're moving out of the emergency, they would be one of the groups likely to uh, disband and it would then mean that the likes of Tony Houlihan, of course he is our Chief Medical Officer, he retains that role as Chief Medical Officer, he just goes back to his day job as Chief Medical Officer within the Department of Health. But as I say, mixed signals, it was speculated they'd be gone mid-October but Eamon Ryan saying no plans at the moment for the winding down of Neffet. So watch this space. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. The Celtic Ross Hotel in Ross They've got vacancies for accommodation manager, wedding and events manager, bar staff. They also have vacancies for front office manager and chefs at all levels. Rathcormac Tyres have vacancies for a fitter, breakdown operator, drivers and a warehouse person. And Blarney Castle, they are looking for chefs and a salesperson is required for Danjo Fitzgerald's in Mallow. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Text in from a listener saying, Trisha, were you watching The Amazing Race um, at the weekend by Jason Smith with his gold medal in the Para Olympics? What a guy. Fair play to him. I hope he goes to Paris in 2024. God, that, what an achievement that would be because when I and I did I did see the race and I did mention it earlier actually when I was sending my uh, congratulations to him because he's just an, it's an extraordinary achievement by an exceptional athlete and as I mentioned that was his fourth successive para um, para Olympic 100 meter gold 
medal win. Four times he has won it. So if he goes to Paris and manages to win it, it will be his fifth. <laughs> what an achievement that would be. I don't know what his plans are. He's due back home in Derry on Thursday. So whether we'll get to hear then whether he plans to stay running or not. But yet it was an incredible performance for sure. Thank you for your text to 0862 103 103. Now a Bantry based GP specialising in women's health has admitted that her unvaccinated pregnant patients are the ones she now worries about the most. Dr Laura Cullen of the Marina Medical Centre in Bantry joins me. Good morning to you Laura. Good morning, thank Uh, you for having me. Well thank you for joining us on the programme. Has there been much hesitancy amongst pregnant women when it comes to getting a vaccine? Um, Unfortunately yes, my experience is that about 50% of pregnant women um, have questions. Um, and, um, and and rightly so. I mean, they're perfectly entitled to have questions. But yeah, I would find that about 50% of my pregnant um, uh, patients, you know, have questions and haven't proceeded necessarily at the indicated time and, and want to discuss it more. So um, yeah, that is definitely something that I'm, I'm seeing. Do you feel there's a lot of misinformation out there about the COVID vaccine or, or indeed any other vaccines that would frighten young mothers? I, I think so. I think there's a huge amount of social media misinformation and, and whether we like it or not, a, a lot of people get the majority of their news and and their advice on social media. And then unfortunately that actually fuels conversations um, among kind of certain cohorts of the population um, and um, a lot of my pregnant you know, patients would be on the younger side. Um, so I think it's kind of really, I suppose that really brings it home to us that we need to ensure the social media, you know, is how we deliver, um, uh, you know, vaccine information and reassurance around vaccines in general, um, but particularly at the moment in relation to the COVID vaccine. Um, yeah. And there was changes, wasn't there? I mean, originally pregnant women were told not to get the vaccine. I think at the very start, originally, um, I, I suppose it was felt that there just wasn't enough information. We're, we're going back now six months, or sorry, eight months um, to when some people were, were vaccinated initially. But a lot of pregnant women, particularly because the vaccine was being rolled out initially in healthcare workers, a lot of healthcare workers would have decided to proceed with the vaccine anyway because they felt that their risk was significantly higher than the average person in the population, which it was. And so a lot of those women did proceed to have the vaccine at the time. So we're going back to January and February of this year. Um, and then the vaccine was rolled out in other, in other jurisdictions, like in the US, to pregnant women much earlier. So um, we now have quite significant amounts of data back um, uh, in relation to babies that have been born post-vaccination, um, which is really reassuring in relation to the vaccine. And also in relation to babies born here in Ireland, um, uh, again, which is really reassuring to show that we have no concerns about the vaccine in relation to uh, developmental concerns for babies, um, health for mums. We haven't we haven't seen anything, and certainly I haven't in my personal experience for those women who have proceeded with vaccination, seen any um, concerning outcomes at all. So what do you say to any pregnant woman listening today? I mean, talk to your doctor and bring yeah. forward your fears. Yeah, I, I think talk to your doctor, bring forward your fears. What I really try to do is find out what the specific concerns are because it might be different for each individual woman. And what's lovely is that I get to have personal relationships with each and every one of them. So I can address what that specific concern is for them. 
Um, and like, and then I suppose a lot of people come back to me and say, well, I'm not really sure. I trust my, doc- my doctor's judgment in that regard. And I say, well, that's fine. But I mean, you don't go to a hairdresser <laughs> that you don't trust. So don't go to a doctor that you don't trust. Now, I know that's easier said than done in some in some circumstances. So I, I don't mean to be kind of facetious about it. But but like, you know, um, and then the other thing is to seek out really kind of verifiable information. So there's excellent information um, on the Royal College of Physicians website. There is an obstetrics and gynecology section on that and there's an amazing link to really accessible understandable information for women whether they proceed with the vaccination or not you know and it'll just outline what 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 you know in terms of if they proceed with vaccination this is the pros and cons and if they don't proceed with vaccination pros and cons i think we need to respect women and, and their point of view you know mm. um because uh, each and every one of us have decisions to make but but yeah, I mean, it is concerning, particularly for those women in the later part of their pregnancies, particularly those working in very public-facing jobs. If they haven't proceeded with vaccination, they are without a doubt at higher risk. So whatever their concerns are around the COVID vaccination, it's really important for them to understand that it's not just the COVID vaccination they endure, but it's actually COVID infection. And we know for a fact that their their own personal health is at higher risk should they contract COVID and that of their baby is at higher risk should they contract COVID, particularly in the third trimester. I'm sure you you're, you were very aware of that high-profile case out of Derry last week. Yeah, it was that. terribly sad, yeah, yeah. I mean, a 35-year-old, no underlying health condition, but to me, it brought home how serious coronavirus can be at any age, but particularly Absolutely, at yeah. that end stage of pregnancy. Yeah, oh, completely. And I mean, the devastation that's been left behind there, I, I think that Miss um, Wills, Wills, I think her name was, uh, yeah. uh, what they, I think she's left behind four children. I yeah. mean, it's just absolutely, you know, it doesn't matter what your your views on vaccination are in general, you know, no, no mother, no mother plans for that in their life. You know, no mother plans to leave their beautiful young family at home. And, it, you know, I think any mum can relate to that. And I think it's incredibly brave that that woman's husband has come out and spoken out about, you know, his wife's concerns around having the vaccine, vaccine and the ramification that's had. But it, it doesn't matter what that woman's decision was or wasn't. When she went into hospital, I'm sure she wasn't, you know, you know, I'm sure she, you know, she was just terrified. And any mum can relate to that. I have a young family myself and it's just, it's just so devastating for that family, you know. Yeah, um, I, I, I think it's very important that we don't, like, I mean, it's, it's wonderful that that um, that that family have have been able to actually tell their story um, and to try and encourage people to get to get the vaccination. But I feel very reluctant to use her case because I don't want to 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 appear to be actually you know um, benefiting in some way I know, from that I know. story. You know, yeah. But, but I, I think but it I, was yeah. I think it was the fact, uh, and I felt very much the same when I first yeah. heard heard about that story. I was very slow to even mention it on air. But it was only when her husband went so public and he said, I want her story told in the hope that it might help one other person. Yeah, and, and, and how, how, like, just how, you know, like, I can't, I don't think us in the medical profession can, can, can thank that family enough for, for what they've, what they've given, mm. you know, um, particularly in, 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 in the face of such tra- tragedy, you know. Um, uh, but I think, I think, that, I think the take home message really is, if you contract COVID, regardless of your thoughts on the COVID vaccination, you are at higher risk. So 
if you decide to proceed with the vaccine, please do. It, it, we, we haven't seen any negative outcomes from our perspective. Um, but if you don't, then you really need to take steps to keep yourself safe and to make sure that you're, you're, you're taking public health basic guidance very, very, um, uh, you know, you're, you're taking it very much so to heart. You know? And that everyone um, in your household is uh, as exa- well. Exa- exactly, yeah. What, exactly. what about the partners and, and, the, and the baby's daddies? Are the majority of those vaccinated? It's funny, my experience is no. Um, uh, And I don't know whether that's just because we're looking at a younger cohort, so they haven't completed vaccine, or whether, um, you know, or or whether there's some degree of hesitancy in general in in that cohort. Um, I I think, just to be clear, about 50% of my patients have questions. After a conversation with my patients, and sometimes their partners as well, about 25% to 30% of that group, sorry, 25%, sorry, another 50% of that group. So we're talking about 75% go on to proceed to have vaccine, in my experience. Other GPs may have different different figures. So I think, you know, if the family as, as, as a whole has concerns, talk to the doctor if you trust your doctor. Seek verifiable online information for everybody in the house. Um, and um, and and then do your best with that and make the best decision that you possibly can for your family. Well done, you know? well done. And we're now vaccinating 12 to 15 year olds. Yes. What's your mm-hmm. advice to parents who are thinking of vaccinating their children? And many have already stepped up and are vaccinating their children. Yeah, I, I think, look, again, um, we know that this group isn't likely to become severely ill. Um, we know that, you know, um, this group is, is usually quite well and you know should they contract covid um that they're they're not unlikely as i said to become severely ill but what we all but but if you think about even from what most families have been through i know my family has been through four or five times every time a child comes home with a snotty nose and they go back to school um you know we end up getting tested and that's you know puts us out of the running you know and then should a positive test come back even if that child isn't particularly unwell that puts you know, um, the uh, the unvaccinated members of the family, you know, in lockdown then yeah. again for another, you know, and how inconvenient that is for a family. And like, you can say, well, look, everybody else is vaccinated and go about their business. But like, if there's a 12 year at home, then mommy probably has to stay at home or daddy has to stay at home and how inconvenient that actually is. So to take those things into account and then also to take into account, again, we haven't seen any negative um, impacts in that group. I actually think they've been quite brave, you know, of the few I've seen vaccinated, um, you know, a, a glass of lemonade even if they're feeling a bit dizzy or you know they're feeling a little bit under the weather after it you know brings them around and stuff like that so I think you know um, of course I'm going to say go for it but uh, but what I can say is that we haven't seen anything concerning in this group either in relation to the vaccine um, at all Yeah and I, the, my point that I always try to get across to people we, we vaccinate ourselves obviously to protect ourselves but we also vaccinate to protect the more vulnerable community yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so if, yeah so if you want to go see granny you can be a little bit more confident about going to see granny you know in that context no I, I have younger to my children aren't quite at that age cohort yet and so you know w- w- I would have that concern when we see older relatives and things like that but um but it, it just takes that kind of worry out of it and 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 the other thing to remember is that we do live in quite an individualistic society but 
you know, if anything COVID has shown us is just how important the value of community is. Um, and I, I live and work in a very rural community where we're all very interconnected. Um, and there's, I think there's nothing better that you can do to show that you care for your, your community and your, you know, um, and the people that you socialise with, etc. than by getting the vaccine, well you know, done. Well um, done. you know, so. Yeah, well, well, well done. And somebody's asking about booster uh, shots and will your, will local GPs be involved in booster shots for vaccines? There's been no decision made on that yet. No, no, NIAC, no, yeah. no. And, and, and in fairness, um, NIAC, the Irish College of General Practitioners and the IMO have been very good, Irish Medical Organisation have been very good at instructing us early. We just don't have a decision yet. It's likely, it's likely that should we be boosting, we'll be boosting healthcare workers and then that over 80, 85 and nursing home cohort first. So, you know, um, but we've no, we've not we've no definite instruction yet. So it's just kind of a sit tight thing. Um, but definitely, you know, if, if it does roll out, it's likely that the first few weeks will be given to those those high risk cohorts. You and know. it will more than likely be through the GPs that it will be done. Um, well, I mean, we started, um, you know, a lot of us are very happy to continue um, for some GPs. That's harder. But either way, there's there's uh, machinery now in place to make sure that happens for anybody who needs it or for anybody who's instructed to get it. So, you know, I, w- I wouldn't worry too much about where it comes from. The, the vaccination hubs that are run by the HSC are incredibly efficient. Unreal. Are you proud of the country, Laura, in the way th- there is some vaccine hesitancy, but it's quite low compared to other countries? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're kind of we're, we're like a fighting little nation, you know, and I think I think that's because there's a real sense of community in Ireland, you know, um, and we realise how interrelated we are, you know, so it's 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 just it is lovely to see. And to be honest, for a lot of healthcare workers. The last 18 plus months have been fairly exhausting. I'm off to speak. I'm delighted with myself. <laughs> but, um, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're tired. Um, and what's kept us going, we're more than tired, to be honest, but what's kept us going has, has been able to see that, you know, has been able to witness that since last Feb- January, February, um, and the impact that that has had and that we have been such an integral part of that, you know. Um, and seeing, you know, we've had a huge amount of feedback, really positive feedback from our patients and from others. Um, and we've all put on half stone from all the cakes that have been given to <laughs> us and, and all the rest. So it's, it's, um, it's you know, it's been... It's been you know, the best of times and the worst of, or I mean, yes, it was the worst of times and the best of times yeah. you know, for yeah, us, it has, you know. it has indeed yeah. Listen, yeah. Uh, Laura, thank you for that I really enjoyed our chat. You're very welcome. And enjoy you. your week off, get some rest. Thank you. <laughs> thank Mind you. yourself. Bye, bye, bye bye. That is Dr Laura Cullen who is a GP working out of the Marina Medical Centre in uh, Bantry. Uh, Jim says when we mentioned that poor uh, woman who died in Derry who was pregnant and just baby delivered and then two weeks later sadly passed away and then her baby at her funeral her baby was christened. She never got a hold. Her baby died from COVID. Jim said did that poor unfortunate woman in Derry have the vaccine or not? No, she didn't. She When she became pregnant uh, the vaccine wasn't available and then in her early pregnancy it was the vaccine still wasn't available for pregnant women and it was just at the latter end of her pregnancy that she said I've you know, gone through the pregnancy this far I'll wait and get it as soon as baby is born her hobby had been vaccinated but unfortunately not and it was uh, too late for 1850 John Paul taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group promoter home business farm life and health insurance cmig.ie we'll go to the phone lines where Millie McLaughlin joins me Millie I'm told is a 
freelance casting director and she's looking for people to do hello Hi, oh, Patricia, hi, 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 Millie. Sorry, there was a very unusual sound on on your on the phone there. Okay, this is Millie McLaughlin, freelance casting director. You're looking for people not to take part in a TV program, but it's for people to take part in an ad. Yeah, so it's an advertising um, kind of docu series, and will um, look at people who have moved from the to the countryside over the course of the pandemic. So you're, you're breaking up slightly. It's people who've moved, who lived in a, in any city in Ireland, is it? Um, yeah, in any city in Ireland and who used to commute and have moved to the countryside now within the course of the pandemic because they were able to, um, obviously from working from home. Okay, and is it is it one in? Is, are they single people or is it families? Or uh, we're you? looking for all sorts of people. Um, you know, the, the more kind of variety. The the better we're looking for single people couples families um all sorts so it will be even people who have done complete lifestyle changes yeah. you know, like went from working in the banking industry to moving to Lahin to um do surfing or um <laughs> somebody who's moved from dublin to a caravan in you know on the coast um or someone who has moved to like from you know inner city Dublin to um, a a little kind of converted cottage in Connemara you know um, kind of the the more interesting the story is the better yeah 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 and and lots of people we know have done that I mean lots of people have have relocated and because they're able to work now they don't have to be at the office Exactly, like, um, you know, having the internet has really helped people be able to kind of um, go for their dream and be able to move somewhere that they wouldn't have been able to move, um, you know, a few years back. And I think there has been a kind of mass exodus out of the cities because of it. Like, you can see it even with the house prices, like the house prices outside of Dublin and more rural communities are are going up because demand is huge. And we know what whatever gets announced uh, tomorrow with the further lifting of of restrictions, yeah. and we know people are going to be going back uh, into the office. But yeah. this blended and remote working—that's yeah. very much going to be the order of the day. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that it this is going to be kind of the new normal. I don't think anybody's going to be really going back to the office like full time. So um, it really does give people the opportunity to kind of live a more interesting lifestyle yeah and live yeah live a different life okay so it's yeah. you're describing it and I know we we can't for obvious reasons name the, the company that yeah. you're going to be doing these ads for but it's it's a documentary series as an ad so it'll tell a little story yeah. is it yeah yeah so it will just kind of highlight the, each story that we choose it will just show the family and where they moved from and where they moved to or the couple like you know where they moved to and their lifestyle now in comparison to what it was mm. um so they'll just be be short um little Little do- like yeah, maybe. little uh, documentaries. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, and it's sure. it's like that one. Um, is it? I, and I also have to stop and think. Is it Bank of Ireland? The one where the woman moves in with the son. That there was a lot of criticism about. She downsized. Well, she sold her house and moved in with the son, and then he did up the sitting, the little room to make it look like her sitting room. And listen, we had a lot of criticism about it, but that told a little story. So I know exactly yeah. where you're coming from uh, with with uh, with this. And do people get paid? Yeah, yeah, paid. They get paid. 
They do get Art, paid, okay. yeah. Right. <laughs> so that's always a good thing. And you're a freelance casting director. So do you cast for a whole variety of different things? Um, yes. So projects. Yeah, I'll just get called in to to look for cast members. Most of the time, it's just kind of members of the public who, you know, have interest in things on the project, like TV or advertising or even just kind of paying. The, okay, the unfor- gig is. okay. Mm. Unfortunately, your line is starting to break up. But just to, how can people contact you, uh, Millie? Um, so, Irish Tree Casting at Gmail dot com. Give me that again. Irish Country Casting. Irish Country Casting. Okay, I have a different. I have a different. Oh, sorry, one. no, no, it's Country Life, life Casting. Cast. Sorry, I have a sorry, different. Yeah, no, I've that. Yeah. Um, okay, so it's Country Life Casting at Gmail dot yeah. com. All right, listen. We wish you luck with it, Millie. Hope you get lots of people, and okay. uh, thanks a million for for joining us on the program. Good morning, oh, to thanks you. Thanks so much, Patricia. Uh, okay, bye bye, bye bye. So anyone who has lived in the city, and it could be somebody who had lived in Cork City, or is. Millie was saying Dublin, but it could have been anywhere, Galway, Limerick, wherever. You lived in a very urban area and you decided to give up the rat race, get out of the commute and you're now living in a rural area. Would you like to take part in that? It's, as I say, it's paid work as well. Countrylifecasting at gmail.com. Now, Mairead Tuig, our news reporter for the day that's in it. A lot of children are heading back to school today for the first time and she went to Kaloshta Eamon Reish to find out how the first day at back to school was going. My name's Nikita. Hi. And what class are you in? Second year. <laughs> and are you happy to coming back to school? No. No. <laughs> how was last year? Was last year or first year here? Was? Yeah. And how was that? It wasn't too bad. And like with the pandemic and things, was there a lot of at home learning? Yeah. Tour. And what class are you in, Tori? I'm going second year. And you looking forward to it? Yeah. And what was school like last year? It was fine because my friends are in my year. Oh, excellent. And was there a lot of at-home um, learning? Yeah, but it was fine. Eva. And Eva, what year are you going into? Second. I, I say you're all going into second. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's not the last question. So. And uh, what's your favourite thing about school here? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Is it fun being in school with all your friends? Does that make it better? Yeah. And what was school like last year? It was okay. It was a bit hard life, but you know, neither yeah. Oh, that's the bell, is it? Yeah. So what time does school start here? Uh, 8.45. <laughs> and is today like a fir- like first day because of like induction and stuff like yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Okay. And what was it like putting on your uniform after a long summer? Weird. Yeah. <laughs> but is it good to be back now with your friends? Yeah. As Kalosh, the Eamon Rish in the city, thanks to Mairead Tuig, our news reporter, with those second year students. And you could sense the excitement, couldn't you, on behalf of them? I think the children themselves miss being with their peers and I think all that homeschooling while it worked for some I think for the majority it didn't I think the majority of children glad to be putting back on the uniform I think for the parents glad to see their sm- their children heading off to school 1850 and we wish the best of luck to everybody starting school whether from the very smallies right up to the ones heading into leaving sir John was listening to me mention about the fact that the Covid subcommittee are meeting today to decide on the final details of the plan to open up all of the remaining sectors of society then that goes to a full government meeting tomorrow and then tomorrow we get to hear 
what the roadmap out and this is to be the final one the lifting of all of the restrictions John is wondering and is interested to see do other listeners feel the same way how can Micheál Martin and the government say that we are unwinding restrictions and lifting the rest of the remaining sectors and opening up the rest of the remaining sectors of society. We are now, have now one of the highest rates of infection per head of population in the EU. COVID is out there in all of our communities and the watchword is be careful. John feels we are a long, long way from defeating what is an awful disease. So John is worried about what the government will be deciding today at the COVID meeting and what they're going to announce uh, tomorrow. Uh, and I think from from certainly what I've been hearing down through the grapevine and what's been said, certainly by people within Neffet, a lot of it is going to be personal responsibility. And while they may open up, say, nightclubs might reopen, you might, theatres might reopen, full capacity and all of that. And whether we'll be wearing masks or not, that has yet to be decided. But it's going to be a personal responsibility thing, John, whereby you might have 500 people attending some events you might have 70,000 people at Electric Picnic even though I don't think for sure that that's going to go ahead and it will be up to individuals themselves whether they feel comfortable going to events and that I think is going to be quite telling when the left of the rest of the restrictions are lifted and society is back to I, I'm very so to say back to what it was pre the pandemic because I think you're right that we are a long long way away from life being completely back to normal where we won't be wearing masks we won't be worried about social distancing we won't be worried about the numbers of people that are inside in a particular establishment I do think you're right on that one I think we've probably got certainly the rest of this year if not into next year before we get into that stage and I think we're going to be into booster shots we're probably going to be into certain sectors of the population like with the flu jab are going to be going every year to get a flu jab and to get a Covid jab I don't think the virus is simply going to disappear just because we want it uh, to disappear so I think Tomorrow, I'm expecting that when they announce what's happening and the opening up of society and the, uh, particularly the reopening of sectors of the society which have remained closed, like the live entertainment, I think we're going to be told it's going to be personal responsibility. If you feel comfortable going to a GAA match with a lot of people, if you feel comfortable going to a festival, going to the theatre, whatever, I think it's going to be personal responsibility, but we'll, we will wait to see. But anyway, John is feeling that they're just simply moving too quickly that's what John feels. Would others agree with him? 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. Get your questions in for Annalise Dressel, please, our health therapist, uh, nutrition therapist, because she joins us in the next hour. If you have a question, you can... F- Call John Paul or you can text our WhatsApp. That's all coming up after news at 12. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. 
Mike in Bantry says, hi Trish, I saw a grasshopper yesterday. Mike says, I reckon the last time I saw a grasshopper was about 34 years ago. That must be a good sign. I don't know what it is a good sign of, but has anybody else noticed grasshoppers? They're quite big, aren't they, as well? I can't even tell you the last time I spotted a grasshopper. Are they, do we have a lot of grasshoppers around? Anybody else notice grasshoppers? Mike said he spotted his first one in 34 years and he's quite specific that the last time he saw one was 34 years ago. And here's one in from Sheila by WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Your thoughts welcomed on this one, please. Sheila says, hi Patricia. Since returning to dining indoors and outside, my friends and I mostly meet up for breakfast, which is a lovely thing to do. Kind of if you can have it late enough and have it as a brunch if you want. Anyway, it's a pity that the majority of places leave a lot to be desired. Some issues are are as follows. Tea or coffee being served immediately when you sit down. You put in your order and the tea tea and coffee arrives but it doesn't arrive with the toast. And then when the time the toast and the food comes the tea and coffee generally speaking has gone cold. In some places if you ask for another cup of coffee you'll be charged again. Nobody is offering free top-ups. Sometimes you have to ask a few times for the toast. You can even get it when you've finished eating the breakfast. It really annoys me that I have to pay extra for tea and coffee on top of the advertised price of breakfast. There's no pepper, no salt, no marmalade and there's never enough milk on the table. To me, I feel, says Sheila, that the staff is not properly trained. The fault surely lies with the owner or manager. People should be complaining. Word of mouth gets around very quickly. So cop on or we won't be back. I'm like a pub spy. I should do a service, says uh, Sheila. Are others noticing that? Now, just a couple of things in that. The staff not being trained properly. The one thing I've noticed, and I did mention this when I came back from my uh, staycation, in some premises you could see that the staff were very, very young Businesses themselves said within the hospitality they struggled to get staff. They certainly struggled to get staff who had been originally with them to come back to work because many people, of course, when hospitality shut down last March, many people realised that there was, you know, their job wasn't going to come back for quite some time and people decided to retrain or they went into retail, they went into different jobs and they got out of hospitality so we knew it had been predicted even before hospitality reopened I had done a number of interviews with restaurant association, with pub owners saying we are going to struggle when we are open, we are going to struggle to get staff we had some people who were citing the pub payment of €350 Euro was too high and that people weren't going to give up that €350 Euro to come to work because a business couldn't give them enough money that would justify them coming to work so we knew that that was going to be an issue so what's happened in many cases in hospitality they are relying on young people young local students in the main and many of them are not trained many of them it's their first job many of them I was staying in and this wasn't anywhere here in Cork it was up the country somewhere I was staying on one of our staycations in uh, we were just there for two nights. We were in a five-star hotel. Now, it was at the start of one of the reopenings back early, back in June, I think it was. And I couldn't get over while we were having breakfast at the table next to us. There was young people being trained in in what they should and shouldn't be doing, trained in and how to lay a table. And, and I just remember thinking, this feels odd to be in a five-star hotel where you're witnessing the training of staff. And I accept 
that young people have to be trained but I don't know if it should have been done while there was a lot of people in there having their breakfast at the same time because I was trying to catch somebody's attention for that very point that Sheila makes there wasn't enough milk on the table all the milk was gone and I needed more milk and I was trying to catch the attention of the person who was training this young staff who was completely ignoring me while she was going through the training of this young staff so so yeah and that was at the early stage so it was the first week after we came out of lockdown and I thought that things might get a little bit uh, better but it is annoying if everything doesn't arrive together if the teas and the coffees arrive and then you're waiting on the food and the tea and the coffee is gone and then you have to reorder. I I mean, I don't know. Are many places doing, would they just give you a top up or will they charge you more for the top ups? According to Sheila, she's noticed if she orders an extra cup of coffee, she's going to be charged again. And yes, and I think this is to do with the guidelines, there isn't salt and pepper. There certainly isn't salt and pepper shakers on the table. Most places now are doing the little sachets and in many places you do have to ask for them. And that can be frustrating if you're constantly, you know, your toast arrives and the butter isn't there and you've got to ask for the butter. Or, you know, it, it can be frustrating. And then to have a nice, I'm assuming, Sheila, in my mind I'm seeing half a pig on a plate a good cooked Irish breakfast and the toast hasn't arrived and your food is completely gone and then the toast arrives where you want to eat it all at the same time what I would say and you you state it in your text to us that people should complain and that's the only way places are going to improve and you're right about word of mouth if you've been treated badly in a place and if you felt the coffee was cold by the time the dinner arrived you feel you got overcharged on the coffee uh, the toast didn't come and then when the toast came you had to go look for the butter there was no salt and pepper you are constantly asking and if you go away telling people telling your friends then our family members then others won't go there so I think the best thing you're right it doesn't necessarily always have to be you know, you say complain, you think people are straight away going to get angry and annoyed. You know, as you leave to pull somebody aside, a manager or something, not necessarily a young member of staff, but a manager and just point out, look, we've come here over many that was in the group. We, you know, we had our breakfast, blah, blah, blah. But we'd like to point out that there's some things you could do to improve. And I know businesses certainly way prefer if you do find fault that you point it out to them at that time rather than the one thing that really annoys businesses will be if somebody goes on to, you know, something like TripAdvisor and gives a really bad review or onto somebody's Facebook page and gives a really bad review and slates the place without giving the business the opportunity of either explaining what was wrong are trying to improve. So I, I do think, and you do seem to be getting out and about and you're spotting it a lot, I would suggest that that's, as a little group, that's what you need to do. Point out to wherever you are what you see is wrong and hopefully things can uh, improve and it's great to see you getting out and about with your friends and I love that idea of everybody meeting up and having a nice breakfast uh, together and it is great that we're all being social and being able to get out and about thank you for your text Sheila to 0862 103 103 I've been mentioning about the Covid subcommittee meeting today and we're awaiting final plans for the reopening of the remaining sectors of society that's what's been spoken about today. Liz says, what about weddings? When numbers increase at weddings, will they allow the wedding bans to return? It's very hard for people that are having weddings in the next few months to plan anything. Oh, listen, my heart goes out to any bride and groom who are trying to plan a wedding and that's the way it has been when there was only 
was there only six at one stage allowed at a wedding then it went to 50 and then finally in August it went to uh, 100 I did read in one of the articles in one of the papers today that it is likely the numbers allowed to attend weddings and funerals will also uh, increase now what it will increase to I don't know I mean what the plan the plans that they're discussing today that get formally signed off on tomorrow and then we await Michael Martin uh, to tell us is to do with the reopening of all remaining members of society. And remember I also mentioned that Michal Martin, Leo Radker and the Arts Minister Catherine Martin are holding a series of meetings with the events industry with the Event Industry Alliance today and they represent arts and live entertainment groups and one of the groups in under that umbrella group are the wedding bands because wedding bands literally for for people who only specialise and that's all they do is weddings many of those literally haven't worked at all so certainly their point is going to be put through by that alliance to say we need to have bands and music back at weddings and I take it couples getting married would love the idea of having a band back and then another listener says uh, Patricia so you mentioned that transport will be back 100% uh, will that mean no more discrimination about masks and I'm assuming from that that this is a listener who doesn't like to wear or for whatever reason doesn't want to wear a mask we are told that all public transport Transport will operate to 100% capacity. From It's actually kicking in from Wednesday of this week. And obviously it's to facilitate the return of the one and a half million school children. It's also going to facilitate people returning to college. And we know there's going to be return to the office. So they have to get public transport back up to 100%. Does that mean 100% of people will be on trains and buses and Lewis and the Dart without masks? My gut instinct says no. I think public transport will go back up to 100%, but I think everybody will be still asked and it will still be there that you'll have to wear a mask. I could be wrong, but my instinct would tell me that you will you will still have to wear masks. And then Mary says, does anybody else notice that a lot of staff aren't wearing their masks properly? Now, I don't know if Mary's talking about within hospitality or within retail, but are a lot of people noticing uh, that? And I have to say yes. And I can add my own story to this. Last week, I was off. Remember, I, I had a hospital appointment last week and I, I was uh, going to see a consultant, somebody I'd, I'd never dealt with uh, before. And the one thing that struck me now, I we, I was sitting on the other side of a desk away from him and I did have my mask on. And I just couldn't get over while I was speaking to this gentleman that his mask was under his nose for the, for the duration of my meeting with him. And that was the doctor. And I just thought, oh, do I say something here? And then whether... He realised I was staring at his nose or not. I don't know because I couldn't help. No, I was looking at his face, but I couldn't help but look at his mask under his nose. And he did once or twice pull out the mask and put it up over his nose. But am I seeing more of it? Uh, I can't say I am, but I will look out for it. And that always happens when somebody, when I get a text in like that and I start to look for it, I'll see it everywhere I go. Anybody else noticing? Because they tell you that, they absolutely tell you that, that when you put your mask on, you need to put it on over your mouth and over your nose. It is important because we know that, and and for those, and I read a really good article on this last week, for those of us that are fully vaccinated, and if we know that we can still get COVID-19 but it is looking like for people who get COVID-19 who are fully vaccinated and anyone certainly that I have spoken with who 
fully vaccinated and somehow managed to pick up uh, COVID-19 will all say they didn't they didn't have any symptoms they didn't even realise they had it they only had it because they needed to get a PCR test done either for work or they needed to get a PCR test done because they were going into hospital or they needed to get a PCR test done because they were travelling and were shocked to discover that they had COVID-19 but it seems that what happens when you're vaccinated, the COVID-19, the viral load, seems to remain in the nose and it doesn't go down into the lungs. And therefore, that's the reason that you don't get very sick with it. But it does mean that if it's in your nose and you don't have your mask on properly, then you are going to be spreading it to other people. So it is really important that you put your mask on properly. But let's see. Let's see. Mary has noticed of late, it's a kind of a new thing, that less and less people, staff, now she's not talking about the people who are in the shops or in the restaurants, it's the staff members are not wearing their masks properly. And can I just say to any member of a staff in a retail, in a a hotel, cafe, whatever, who has to wear a mask all day, I have the greatest of admiration because I find when I've got my mask on the longest period of time I will have it on for is obviously when I'm in doing my shopping or whatever, I can't wait to get out and take the mask off and I have bought all different types of masks since this pandemic began to try to get the lightest ones to the disposable ones and I can't find any that I can actually say well that's comfortable and I don't even know I have it on I certainly always know so I have great admiration for people that have to go to work and wear it all day. John and Clan says what the government are saying about the reopening of the country it's all about vaccination you're on the vaccination train or you're not says uh, John. Well I know what's been speculated is that it's only fully vaccinated people will be the ones who will have access to the musical gigs, to indoor sports or any kind of activity that's going to be indoors. That does look like that. that's one of the things that more than likely is going to be mentioned by the Taoiseach tomorrow night. And someone else says there'll be no need to wait for the Taoiseach, Patricia, to address us tomorrow evening. Everything will be leaked out beforehand, so nothing will come as a surprise. Well, we need to find out absolutely for sure that it is what they're saying they're doing. And then Pat says, this is when I mentioned that Ireland and I was gone on the red list for international travel for people travelling from other countries over here uh, I'm just wondering I'm travelling to Lanzarote on the 10th of September does the red list affect me must I quarantine when I arrive home to Ireland thanking you that's from uh, Pat uh, well Lanzarote certainly isn't on any red list at the moment I would suggest if you, to go to gov.ie they've got mounds and mounds of information about travelling to other destinations and people travelling outside and people coming into this uh, country but I did a quick look for you online while the news was on at 12 when your text came in uh, just to see there's actually no country in the EU that's on the red list so you're okay now obviously and I'm sure you're well aware of having your COVID certificate and what you need to have at the airport and all that and if you want to gov.ie as I say you certainly can get more information there but certainly Lanzarote is not on the red list now I would say coming close to the date keep checking it and keep making sure that it's not because up to yesterday or the day before Ireland wasn't on the red list as a country that has high COVID cases for the rest of Europe and suddenly now it went on and so things can change but certainly at the moment everything's looking okay for Lanzarote and indeed for Spain I saw a piece earlier that Spain is really hopeful that they're going to get a lot of visitors to to Spain because they had gone they had gone on a red list at one stage and they were they were really doing they weren't doing well at one stage when it comes to the amount of covid cases but they seem to have got their act in order 
and they are expecting a late surge in overseas visitors uh, to Spain because they're doing so well with the reduction of their COVID numbers and they are, I think they're on a green list which means it is safe to travel there. 1850 John Paul taking your calls and a reminder to you to get your questions in for Annalise Dressel. She joins us after half past 12. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With the new Explore Cork app, a Cork County Council initiative, the perfect way to plan your staycation in Cork. And a reminder to you that Boherbui National School, they're raffling a beautiful four-bedroomed house to raise much-needed funds to build a general purpose room in the school. The house will be raffled on New Year's Eve. Tickets are €100 Euro, and tickets can be purchased online at winyourdreamhousekillarney.com or you can get them from Boherbui Post Office. Supervalue Boherbui are from the National School itself. They also have additional draws, including an August draw, which would take place on the 31st of August at Boherbui National School. Kildallery Community Development, their next draw will take place in Kildallery Community Office Thursday of this week, four in the afternoon. Tickets are in sale in all of the local outlets and the community office. And Adam Collins and Alan Kremen are taking part in the challenge of the Seven Peaks in a week. Now that starts on September 11th and it's for the wonderful West Cork Rapid Response and Pieta House to donate. You can go to GoFundMe and follow them on social media and their social media handle is at seven peaks in a week. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Last Friday we were talking about smells emanating from the wastewater treatment plant in Kinsale and uh, we had both Holly Kearns, West Cork Dole Deputy Holly Kearns and local Kinsale councillor Kevin Murphy join us on the programme to discuss what is going on with the wastewater treatment plant in it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, Michelle is one of the local residents in Springmount. And Michelle has contacted us. Good afternoon to you, Michelle. 
Hi, Patricia. How now, are you? I'm, I'm, I'm very well. Firstly, is the smell OK at the moment? Today is not a bad is day, it? Patricia. Funnily enough, the wind is blowing in the opposite oh, direction God. today. So you it's were... like Murphy's Law. But... You're out waiting on the wind to see what the smell is going to be like. Well, I did, yeah. It's been very bad, actually, all week now. This week, including the weekend, every evening, really, from, you know, eight or nine o'clock in the evening, it's been venting. So we don't know what's causing it. We, You know, I've been reporting about this odour problem since... 2015 or 16, I went directly to the plant. You know, first of all, I talked to the EPS managers over there. I spoke to the local council and then subsequently to Irish Water when they were set up. Um, and really, we're just getting a whole lot of runaround and nobody doing anything about the problem. But it's really, it's a horrible situation, as you, you mentioned on Friday. And there's a, there was a sense, listening to both Holly Kearns and Kevin Murphy last week, It there's a sense that when people complain... It's passing the book. Oh no, that our department passed on to somebody else. Oh no, 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 it's it's their responsibility. Absolutely, and that's what what I suppose is the most frustrating thing. You know, if we complain and there's a problem, if they would acknowledge it and put a plan in place, we'd stop complaining. But I have evidence that I complained in 2019, all the way through until November. I had back and forth with you know the plant and Irish Water. And then I see an Irish Water report that shows no complaints yeah. for that plant. Yeah. So it's really, you know, you feel like you're up against it because, you know, the local authority and Irish Water are supposed to work in conjunction to maintain the infrastructure and it just seems like they're blaming each other and then blaming the third-party contractor with no one taking responsibility. That's but frustrating. What's happened then is, you know, every summer when you open the windows or when you're, you know, family calls to visit, you know, we've kind of gone nose blind because it's here so much during the summer. But, you know, it's really embarrassing. You can't have people in your backyard. So... It's, um, you know, and then for them to say, oh, it's the tide or it's the pipes, you know, it's just beyond frustrating. Now, I think you've made an interesting point, you say, in the summer. Could it have anything to do with an increase in population during the summer months? Definitely. I know there's an issue with overloading at the plant. I actually had a report from the EPA in 2019 that showed six times in July and seven times in June the plant is overloaded. And to me, that's a capacity issue. Now, whether it's because the pipes are holding the sewage somewhere up, as Kevin Murphy said, I don't know, but I know that it's linked to the busyness. Because whether it's raining or whether it's hot, it's always here, May through September. Now, we do go inside, obviously, then in the winter like everyone else, but it's not as noticeable. So I do suspect it's linked to capacity. And considering the plant was only built in 2010, they've built hundreds of houses here in the last three years, as you know, hot property area. And, you know, they're just ignoring this. Like, they can claim to Holly Cairns that they had no complaints. I'm blue in the face from talking to them. They see my number in Irish water and they probably have red alert because... Here she is again. Yeah, I, and I don't right. give up. And, I know. Yeah, and 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 you're you're absolutely, and it's the sewerage smell, is it? Oh, it's horrible. Yeah. yeah, it is. And you know, we're right here next to the Kinsale Community Centre. That's directly above the plant. My children, my child was at a Let's Go camp last week, and he said all the kids had their nose covered with t-shirts. The ah, smell is so bad. So it's unfair. not just us. I know we're in close proximity, but you know, all around the area, there's a lot of smell, and I know people are reluctant to say it because. Guess what? You know, you might want to sell the house someday and if people knew this was going on. Yeah, well, you know, that was brought to our attention last week that there are some people who are just so sick of it and can't continue living this way who are seriously considering 
up, upping sticks and nobody should have to move out of their house because or sell their house because there's a bad smell and do I take it I mean that lovely weather we had last week and then our real heat wave during the summer do you have to keep windows and doors closed oh and it was a nightmare you know during the night especially because it would really start venting at night so if you risk leaving the window open when there's no smell and then you wake up at 2am with the house full of it and then you try and close the windows to stop any more coming in it was a nightmare it's really you know this summer it affected us more because it's very warm but I have logged the smell, you know, every day and every week in 2019 as well. We did notice 2020 was less bad, possibly because of lockdown and COVID, you know, and town yeah. not being as busy, or maybe because the weather wasn't so good. But, you know, this I have letters to the EPA from 2018 talking about my seven-year-old. He's now 11, you know. So it's yeah. just, it's frustrating. And then for them to come on and say, oh, we're investigating. They've investigated before, and they told us shock loads. But it's not a shock if it happens every weekend, you know. Can Hanging washing out on the line, is that a no-no? Oh, absolutely. And the curtains, you know, like you really feel you have to fumigate the house because it does get trapped inside because it's kind of like a bowl. And I'm sure it's, you know, dependent on which direction the wind is blowing in. But, you know, if it's not blowing into our garden, it's blowing and into some, Kapok or someone else. Someone you know, else it's is, a bowl yeah, yeah. with lots of houses. So. And it's just, I think, you, you know, I mean, anyone that lives in a rural area when the, the farmer has to go out and spread slurry will complain, oh, I've got the smell and blah, blah, blah. But you know that that's going to disappear and you know it's, it's a kind a of thing. It's a temporary problem. Yeah. And we be the same I'm from a farming background and even when I pass you know the farm I close the windows in the car you know because it's and it's that kind of smell it's really gross I have to tell you because it's more like human you know than animal but it's and for them then to say you know to send out emails last week even saying we walked the boundary and there's no smell if you're at the plant you couldn't tell if there's a smell or not because it always smells right there you know so like I just think we get this like We've investigated and we saw nothing and basically you're all insane. But now we have, you know, over 100 complaint references from the summer. Yeah, We're hoping unf- they can't ignore it. Yeah, that's unfortunately what you have to keep doing, which, yeah. is, which is shocking. Listen, Michelle, thank you for that. Thanks very much. And uh, thanks, uh, thanks for joining us, uh, Michelle, who is a resident in Springmount, Kinsale, talking about that vile smell emanating from the wastewater treatment plant uh, there. OK, some of your texts in. There's some coming in for Annalise. Keep those coming, please. Just a couple of people reacting to Sheila who contacted us about going out for breakfast with her friends and just noticing the service isn't always great. Hi Patricia, I completely agree with Sheila. Read the tea and the coffee coming first. I always say to them, would you bring it all together? Um, I I was in one establishment, I'm slow now to mention the name of the establishment, I won't, but I was in one establishment, I only wanted a salad sandwich and a cup of tea. I got a lettuce and a tomato and the tea was cold and then I asked for new tea and they charged me for that. Uh, it was a real eye opener. Uh, not happy at all. Well, you won't be going back there for sure. A word for Sheila, says Mary. Your first line was complain. Could you not ask politely? Could you please say, will you wait and bring my toast and bring it with my tea and coffee with the breakfast, bring it all together? I feel a lot of people treat staff like lackeys as if they're beneath them. The customer isn't always right says uh, Mary Catherine says Patricia I always say when ordering food to them please don't bring the tea or coffee until the rest of the food arrive it works for me 
says uh, Catherine. And then someone else says, I totally agree with Sheila. Anywhere we go to eat, we're always waiting for something. It's so annoying. I feel it's always been that way. I always ask for the tea to be served with food and then lo and behold, there's always something missing. You have to be, in some establishments, it's like you are talking to the wall. 1850-333-103 and just a final one. Oh, Mike is back. Remember Mike who saw the grasshopper? Is this the same? Mike who saw the grasshopper yesterday and reckons he hasn't seen a grasshopper in some uh, 34 years. He says, I think when you see insects that we used to see in our childhood that we don't see anymore it is a good sign it means there are less chemicals being used that's what I mean when I say it's a good sign it's a healthy sign it means that farmers in your area are going more organic and they're using less chemicals which I hadn't thought about Mike but it makes absolute uh, sense thank you for that and another listener doesn't want to see the return of the wedding bands Patricia some of us are thrilled that bands are not allowed to play at weddings the reason I say this when you go to a wedding now people are able to talk to each other without the noise if you've been to weddings in recent years you come away with your ears ringing with the noise why are wedding bands always so loud so there's somebody likes the idea not having music at a wedding don't know if the bride and groom are going to agree with you but it is a good point you will get around and mix more and you will be talking more with people if there isn't music 1850 let's take a break and let's come back with Annalise Drussell of the Health Hub Times Square in Ballincollig Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor home business farm life and health insurance cmig.ie this is the Court today Today replay on C103. Annalise Drussell of the healthhubstore.com based at the Health Hub Times Square in Ballincollig. Joining me, good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you are very welcome. Let me get straight into questions and this is a kind of a timely one with the start of Back to School. A listener says, question for Annalise, please. I have a girl going into leaving cert. She finds it very hard to concentrate. Any advice on what I could give her? Okay, I suppose the first thing is a little bit on diet, Patricia. A lot of the breakfast cereals that kids eat are full of sugar and they don't really sustain them. So their blood sugars are dropping while they're still in class. And if your blood sugar drops, it is very hard actually to focus and concentrate. So good breakfasts really would be ones like a boiled egg is fantastic for breakfast. Porridge is another great one for breakfast. But if they're fussy about breakfast cereals, um, you know, the wheat bakes shredded wheat, Oatabix, these are all cereals that are much slower release energy um you know you can chop up banana and they can put sugar on them if they like it a little bit sweeter just to get a good cereal into them and as i said a boiled egg is a great one even if you just make a few for snacks for them throughout the day while in school having a good lunch then wouldn't be another important thing so a sandwich or a wrap or some leftover pasta made into a salad or a flask of soup any of those to give them a decent sort of you know um lunch into their stomachs i see a lot of them Around the village here, Patricia, and Ballancolic, you'd see them come out of the schools and a lot of them just have a sausage roll and a can of Coke for their lunch. Mm-hmm. So, of course, they're going to lose concentration. So, um, they're all they're all very, like, you know, when you think of a food, you have to think it needs to take time to break it down so that it's got slow-release energy. So, go for kind of brown bread, brown wraps if you can, brown rice, whole grain pastas, those type of things. And then in terms of supplements, I definitely am a great believer in fish oils in terms of concentration and retention and memory 
without a doubt, they definitely benefit the brain. And the old wives knew that with the old wives' tale was eat fresh fish for the brain. The other thing that works really well is something called L-theanine. It's just a kind of a type of a protein that they isolate from green tea, actually. And it is very good at promoting the focused, calm brain waves. And you can buy that in any health shop. Viridian do a lovely one, which is L-theanine and lemon balm. But also, Higher Nature do a great product that is called Balance for Nerves. But actually, it's got the L-theanine and lots of the B vitamins and other things that are in there, great for concentration, focus and memory. So they're brilliant. If she's coming home from school and she's trying to study but can't focus, pop one then uh, before you sit down to do your study and it will definitely help settle her. Okay, good luck with that. Another mum, my son in his 20s is looking for protein powder. Can you explain, please, what is the fascination with this, particularly for young men, and is it safe? He's obviously training or doing bodybuilding. Training, absolutely. Sure, the big focus, like everybody has to be perfect for Instagram, Patricia. So the pressure on our young people to look perfect and to look like everybody else on Instagram is huge. So I'm not a big fan of young lads on protein powder. It's... um, definitely puts a strain on the kidneys now it's highly unusual but it can cause kidney damage um but as i said it's highly unusual it would be a one in a million bad luck chance as opposed to um a very regular thing but i think if boys are using protein powder they should really only take it on the days that they're training and there is no question patricia protein powder is very good to help build lean muscle and it is very good for muscle recovery so if lads are out um, training for sports and if they're in the gym trying to build muscle it can help without a doubt so I think rather than spend lots of money with these protein powders that have lots of additives in there I think go for basic protein powder and then make it a healthy shake if somebody's training very hard you also need to put in good vitamins and minerals to aid muscle recovery um, so you could pulse up whey powder with some uh, a banana and some berries and that would be a very healthy shake um, and the protein One scoop is plenty, so lads shouldn't be taking three protein shakes a day. It's not going to build their muscles any quicker and it is going to stress their kidneys out. Okay, and another listener from Butterfant. Hi, Uh, my boyfriend got bloods done recently and it came back that he was low in vitamin B12. His doctor has suggested injections once a week for five weeks. Is there any food he could be taking to bring up his B12? Yeah, so generally it's meat, Patricia, and particularly um, like red meat, but also chicken, fish, um, they would be good sources of B12. It's very hard to get B12 from a vegetarian or vegan diet. So generally I would advise that people who are on those kind of diets, they supplement just as a rule of thumb. The other thing I'd say is that actually people are very, in, in Ireland I see it a lot, People, some people are very poor at absorbing vitamin B12. So even if they've got all of the you know, meat foods in their diet and they're still low in B12, that's a good indicator that you're just not absorbing because if it is in the diet and it is low in your blood, you're not absorbing. So again, for those people, I would recommend that they take a daily supplement and you can take it in a form called sublingual, which means that it actually gets absorbed in the mouth. And there's different ones you can take. There's sprays or there's little tablets that you can crunch or there's drops. A health shop will have a good variety. And the last thing I'd say on it then is that there is the standard B12, and then there's an active form of B12. Generally, we need to convert the active form within our bodies, and some people, again, genetically, are just not efficient at this. So taking the active form bypasses the need to convert it. And the, the active form is always called methyl. But if you ask in the health shop for the active form of B12, they'll give you the right version. Phil says, for the last few weeks, I'm hearing a clicking noise in my head. No pain, but it's just very annoying. 
What could be causing a clicking noise? Gosh, I don't know, Patricia, truthfully, but it sounds to me like it could be jaw just from yeah. a practical perspective. Yeah, yeah. Um, like if you had blood pressure or anything like that, it would be more of a kind of a whoosh. And tinnitus generally tends to be like a ringing as opposed to a click. So it sounds to me maybe there might be just a little bit of a jaw dislo- dislocation. Uh, maybe the best thing to do would be to go and see a physio and have a little bit of work or actually even a bit of Indian head massage might work well there. I ended up going to a cranial osteopath. I had that temporomandibular joint, you know, the jaw where all oh my yes. God, but the pain of that is unreal. Very painful, yeah. But there was a clicking sound, but the pain, it's just interesting. That there's the, there's no pain, but yeah, uh, certainly worth uh, investigating. Hi, Patricia. I have a problem with an itch all over my body, legs, back, arms. I've had it about a month now. I moisturise every day. Any idea what could be causing it healthy and fit otherwise? What would suddenly bring on an itch? Yeah, it's, um, oh, listen, the, the mystery of itches, Patricia. So <laughs> it's very hard to figure it out. Um, the first thing I would suggest is that could it be as a result of medication? Because that's nearly, in my experience, the most common cause. And I know there's particular blood pressure medications that can cause it as well. So I've had a lot of customers who've been driven mad with itch, have tried every cream and every steroid and been to every expert. And what happened was they were actually switched from um, a brand name, uh, blood pressure tablet to a generic version of the blood pack pressure tablet and it, they, it disagreed with them. They got one of the side effects of it which is rashes and itches, itches. A lot of people don't even get the rash, they just get that itching sensation but there is no rash on the skin. So if there's no rash, it's unlikely to be a skin problem. It's more likely to be something internally driving it. Now other things that could cause that um, like if you were taking too much vitamin B6, you can get that tingling, itching sensation, but you'd want to be taking it in a very high dose. B12 or iron deficiency possibly could be a weak, there could be a weak link there, or it's possible that there's something that you are allergic to. So in terms of supplements, what I would suggest first is go and take an antihistamine tablet. Go and get one of the over-counter ones from the pharmacy. Take it for a week to see if it gets um, a handle on the itching and if it does, you know then it's more of a histamine, maybe an allergy reaction. And you can take natural ones like quercetin, uh, vitamin B5 is very good. Um, also, stinging nettle is very good as a an natural antihistamine. Um, and you can take those until it solves the problem without any side effects with medications or anything else. And if the antihistamine doesn't do it, it's most likely your medication. Yeah, it's just hard to get to the bottom of, of what's causing an itch. Annalise, hi. I'm, this listener describes herself as a slow runner in my early 50s. I love my 5K, I do it daily. But I'm finding I'm a bit stiff in the mornings. Any advice on anything I could take? Yeah, I think if you're doing running, you should definitely take something to support the joints because even if you're a slow runner, you're still there's still a huge, much more amount of impact on your joints. And we do know that that is what causes wear and tear arthritis in the long term, is the more impact on the joint, the more arthritis is likely. So I would start now taking something to prevent arthritis. So in the shop here, we find a couple of ones work very well. The joint, the Revive Joint Active, they're an Irish company. They make an excellent product um, and that's very good as well to support the bones. So if you're uh, at that age and you're looking for something to make sure you don't get osteoporosis, the Revive Joint is a great one because it'll do joints and it will do your bones. If your bones are fine, um, then we love the Gal Nutrition, again, another Irish company, um, and they do one called UC2 Cartilage, and I get great feedback on that. So that's a combination of cartilage and turmeric 
extract, which is a brilliant natural anti-inflammatory. That also keeps your blood thin, keeps your heart ticking over well, protects the brain and also is a good anti-ager. So the uh, turmeric extract is great for that. The other one that we always get good feedback on as well is the Salgar 7. So you could try any of those three. Um, but I would make it part of your, your kind of routine going forward. Mm. And, you know, maybe even if you don't take it every second, every, every day, take something every second day. OK, question for Annalise, please. We have an 11 year old in the house with chicken pox. All we're using for irritation is calamine lotion. Any other ideas, please? So uh, now that's calamine lotion is probably the best for chicken pox. The other thing that might help could be something called lysine, which is a great one for chicken pox, cold sores, um, um, and those type that type of virus. You know that that's it. They're all the kind of the same virus. Uh, the other thing then as well is that you could try something like um, let me see now that the homeopathic remedies. I'd say maybe something like pulsatilla would work well. That could be a good one for it. But I'd go first with the the lysine and then. Actually, the, oh, sorry, the one I really mean, uh, should have thought of is Hypericum. H-Y-P-E-R-C-I-U-M, Hypericum. It's a great um, a, a little homeopathic remedy for anything kind of itchy, nerve damage So that try that one. And the other one is Lysine. Okay, and obviously the chicken pox doing the rounds at the moment before the kids are even gone back into the, into the classroom. And Mary says, hi, I'm suffering dreadfully from heartburn. The burning pain is awful. It has come on sudden. What could be causing it? How do I stop it? Yeah, so heartburn is a difficult one to pin down, Patricia, because some people, and I think it's because it's cumulative, so some people will say, apples, I can eat an apple today, tomorrow it'll kill me. But I do think it's cumulative. I think that sometimes the heavier the meal as well, um, that puts a lot of pressure on the system for digestion. I do think stress plays a big part too. So if you're stressed, it's very hard to digest your food. So generally, that's what causes heartburn. It's like accumulation of different sort of external influences. Uh, so it's really hard just to pin it down to a food particularly. So what I would suggest in this case, particularly as it's so severe, I would throw everything at it. I would rec- recommend Slippery Elm, which is a lovely powder. You can get it in powder capsule forms. If you're a first-time user, go for the, the capsules because it is difficult to take. And this is a lovely kind of mucilage that will coat the stomach and all of the lining of the throat on the way down with a lovely protective coating. It's also very good for healing if there's any inflammation and irritation from stomach acid. The second thing is something called zinc carnosin, C-A-R-N-O-Z-I-N. And this, again, is very good for two things. One, the mucus-producing cells in the stomach. If you can produce a nice big thick layer of mucus, it'll protect the stomach. It also helps to tighten up that little valve at the top. And the last thing then that you could try is a herb called centaurium, which can help balance acid in the stomach as well. And I know that Vogel, the A-Vogel range, they do centaurium. It's spelled C-E-N-T-A-U-R-I-U-M. As always, you're a mine of information and you'll put up all of the information on your website, which is thehealthhubstore.com, as heard on the radio. And we'll put it up as a podcast as well. Thanks, Annalise. Thank you, Patricia. Have a lovely week and we'll chat again next week. Annalise Drissel of the Health Hub Times Square in Balancolic. Gretchen, when people were complaining about the service in some restaurants, says, I remember we were on holidays in Donegal and we were in a restaurant and there, I spotted a sign that was up on the wall and it said, if pleased, please tell others. If not, 
please tell us. And that's exactly the point that I was making to point out to the restaurant owner if there's some way that it can be improved. That's a good sign. Thank you for that, uh, Greta. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10. And to the Patricia Messenger, good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.